Hey, welcome to the Backyard Professor live video podcasts. I have a uh, wonderful guest tonight, Patrick Anderson, who is an atheist and whom I have just recently met. But I will tell you our story in a minute and then I will bring Patrick on. So in the meantime, let's get this show on the road, shall we? have had a wonderful experience in making all these videos and trying to give you, my audience, various uh, sides, various approaches. Let's do some new research. Let's get some ideas out there floating. And so in the process, I've been trying to get various different people to discuss, come on and discuss their approaches and their ideas on books, on the cosmos, on philosophy and history and religion. And I want to tell you briefly about my new friend, Pat Anderson. But what I want to do is I'm going to bring him onto the show. Pat is an atheist and we're going to have a wonderful chat tonight and we're going to discuss some ideas on some views of the new atheists and share some of our philosophy, and I'll I'll bring in Pat. Pat, here I come. There you are. How you doing, Pat? Over here. Hi, everybody. Over here. Over here. <laughs> you got to go in front of the camera, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I'm doing it still. <laughs> hey, uh, it was really fun. Um, what has happened here for me personally, from my personal view. Uh, I have noticed over the last couple of weeks in in the process of doing some of my videos that you were making some comments that caught my attention. And there were a few comments. I believe it was on my uh, uh, how the new atheists refute themselves or something. And, and you just simply wrote in the comment you had, oh, well, those are the same old arguments, you know, at home, all that fluff. Our atheist society has already dealt with all that and so on and so forth. Well, I had sat down and I had typed out like a five paragraph response to you. And I was getting ready to push the button, you know, I was going to excoriate you and tell you, come on, give me some details. Don't sit there telling me vain generalities, you know, and I was really going to backhand you. Right. And so just as I was getting ready to push the button to send it, I thought, wait a sec, wait a sec. Uh, this guy has a different view. Now, 
if it's anything being a former apologist, it's that I want to see the other voices. And so instead, I said, hey, invite him on the show. And, and I was thinking when I did it, I said, well, yeah, he, he probably won't do it, you know. And you accepted. So here you are. Tell me your side of this. Tell me, tell me why you were typing those comments to me. Were you trying to get my attention? You were, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I always uh, try to get your attention on the uh, on the the Mormon discussions on uh, you know uh, RFM and Bill's show saying yeah, these yeah. little things. And uh, when you when you had your uh, when, when you had your episode about the, the refuting the, the new atheist, it was just one of those things. You caught me in a place and a time. I got a little frustrated and I, you know, put down some, some, some harsh comments and actually harsher probably than, than what you mentioned, but you're, you're very gracious. Oh. And, uh, and it, it, then you, you said, well, if you're so sure, why don't you come on the show? Oh, that and, is how I put it, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, you called me out. You called me out. And uh, I, I said, well, you know, I, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be a, a, a troll. This, you know, backyard professor, he puts on all this content and he's involved in, you know, everything post-Mormon. So, he, you know, he deserves a, a response. Well, thank you. Uh, and, you know, um, that, that means a lot to me because had I acted rashly in response, what happened? I, I think honestly, what happened to me is my old apologist kicked in, right? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. This guy disagrees with me. How dare him? And I'm going to refute him right here, right now. Right. So defense mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it dawned on me, what I was doing, I said, you know what? I'd like to find out who this guy is. And so that's, that was one main reason why I invited John. And I didn't expect you to respond so fast. It was wonderful. All of a sudden, there you were saying, yeah, sure, let's do this. So we got our email and exchanged emails. And come to find out, Pat, you are one cool dude. Thank you. I'm so grateful that I didn't make an enemy uselessly because of my ego, right? And instead, now, now I've got another man who has as much right to give his voice, to give his point of view, to give his ideas, to share what he agrees and disagrees with as any of the rest of us. So this is a great opportunity for us. But before we get involved in this, uh, we were talking a few days ago getting ready for the show and you started telling me about some of the things that you've done and your, your basic approach and attitude. Would you mind sharing with our audience kind of who is Patrick Anderson? Cause they've never heard of you that I'm aware of. You don't do any YouTube videos or you haven't written any books or anything. So give us a little background real quick, if you would, on who you are and what you've done. This is so, so I'm a, uh, you're, I guess your typical uh, middle-aged white guy from uh, San Diego, California. Um, grew up here my my whole life. Uh, I was a, a professional BMX rider for a big part of my 
life. I'm a little too old for it now. I kind of lost it. Bicycles or motorcycles? Bicycles, BMX. Specifically, it's called Flatland. It's the the tricks that are done on the ground. It's a pretty hard uh, discipline. uh, And you were professional. You did that for Yeah. 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 Like I said, I... Why didn't you quit? I, you know, I just... (laughs) lost energy you know i uh i do know <laughs> middle 40s you know it just just yeah. didn't you know have the energy anymore um yeah so I yeah and you know i've done contests all over the world as the x games in 1997 uh i've done shows uh, sea world uh, uh disneyland uh germany um so you went big japan you yeah. international in a way, yeah, yeah. Brad, yeah. I do. Nobody believes me, but go ahead, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> How yeah. cool. So, so you were telling me, too, that uh, in your childhood, you were raised Catholic. Tell us a little bit about that, would you? Yeah, so my, so my dad was uh, Ir- Irish, and my mom was... Um, uh, my mom was Spanish from um, uh, Central uh, South Central Colorado, so I mean it's just a perfect Catholic storm, <laughs> right there, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, they put me through the the catechism and you know all of the things that go along with it, and um, I never liked. I never liked going to church. I never liked it. I always thought it was just a bunch of boring old man and, you know, the typical funny hats. And, you know, I went where and I wanted to be outside and play with my friends. And, and uh, so to to be honest, I think maybe the boredom had (laughs) something to do, you know, with the. Could have. Yeah. Yeah, That kind of stuff is probably tough for a kid to, to handle. I, I was fortunate in that all my, all of my friends were Mormon and in my neighborhood. So instead of having to skip church, we all just goofed off in church. <laughs> were you an Eagle Scout, Kerry? I wasn't. I got up to the, uh, I can't remember. I got up to the uh, Cub Scout. <laughs> okay. No, I actually got the first class. And then they did something with the program. They rechanged the program. They reshaped it. And I had to start all over. In fact, all of us did. And so none of us became Eagle Scouts. Oh, oh man, we've lost two years already. We're not going to do this. So, But we still, we, we kept attending Scouts. It was a lot of fun. Mostly we just did campouts and uh, helped people build backyard sheds. You know, I mean, we probably did. Eagle Scout projects. We just never got the credit for it. Yeah, and that's and all. Then, and then, one real quick: Did you do the the? Did you ever do the pioneer uh, thing that the that the kids did, where they emulated the the, the hand carts and things like? No, that? I never did. I think they did that mostly down in Utah. Oh, and, really? Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we ever went down there to to do stuff like I did the Pinewood Derbies and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. we would just go camp out in the local mountains and some. We had a week long camp out uh, up in uh, in some higher mountains, a hundred miles away. You know, so that we felt like we were really out in the wilderness. And mm-hmm. back then, it was before they had wolves. Now they've reintroduced the wolves. So now I don't know if I'd dare take the kids out there for a week or so, not unless I had a good gun. <laughs> yeah, those wolves are ginormous. Ooh, they are. They are. Yeah. So uh, 
when when I asked you about your so so Catholicism probably just you were indicating that it just didn't work out for you. I was just never had any uh I guess you'd say spiritual connection, probably like like a, a lot of atheists. Um I never understood when people said that oh there's a God and there's a heaven. Mm-hmm. And when I ask questions like where's heaven? Oh well it's out there someplace. Well what what is that what does that mean? Well we don't really know. Or, I'm not I'm not trying to straw man and I'm just you know what No, trying, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. What so in a way you were looking at the big questions. You just didn't feel like the religion had the answers that you were needing to Yeah, I guess that's that that that's that's kind of yeah somewhat accurate yeah so you told me that you would consider i mean you you honestly don't strike me as a hardcore atheist a militant atheist uh and i'm not trying to label you but so you you told me you think you're if we're gonna label anybody and and i hate doing that because that's how i've lived my whole life labeling people oh well you're a non-norman or you're an anti-Mormon and you know so now I don't want to say oh well you're an atheist but but you did indicate that you're like a an agnostic atheist right yeah so explain that what do you mean by agnostic atheist so atheism is a is, is a belief position you believe in a god or you don't believe in a god and um, okay. Gnosticism as we know is what you you claim to know or you don't claim to know uh-huh. so any of those four pieces can be interchangeable you know like i could be a um a gnostic atheist and then i would have the burden of proof to demonstrate that there 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 is no god um and i think you know the militant atheists are going to kick your butt over saying that yeah. Well, you know, so, you know, my position is if you were talking about social issues is, you know, I'm all for, you know, uh, gay, trans rights, pro-choice, all of that stuff. Um, but I still think you got to work for your dinner. You know, uh, it, it, it's uh, where, you know, I know a lot of uh, the atheist, if you want to call it community or, you know, can be pretty far out there on the uh uh you know left left wing so yeah yeah and you know i i think we were we were talking is you know a lot of people they get in they get into atheism and they uh they get a group of people that really um believe and their beliefs conform to a to a big part of their life Mm-hmm. And then what happens is they that that's fine, but then there's just a lot of uh, belief baggage that can go along with it, and yeah. then you know it's it that you know a lot of conflicts can arise. Yeah, and I just didn't want to. I just didn't want. I just didn't want to be. I just didn't want to be. Uh, uh, you know, you know, part of that. I thought, yeah, I, I I'm perfectly happy with my with my with my stance that you know um okay that we don't now, have to go way way out there on the you know now when we started talking and since i'm 
I'm basically, I used to be a Mormon apologist and now I'm post-Mormon. And, and uh, I, I find a lot of issues now that uh, I felt like I was somewhat freed up, so to speak, once I, once I got away from the, uh, what they call church approved literature. Not that I ever technically obeyed that, you know, but, um, but now I'm able to branch out quite a bit more. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised at how you described your interest in the, uh, the history and the pioneer heritage of Mormonism, because like we were saying earlier, a couple of days ago, the, this is part of the American history is there's no point in arguing against that or, or denigrating or whatever, because they were part of the Westward movement. Technically they were the precursors to the California gold rush and things like that. And they did settle the mountain West. There's no question about that, but uh, yeah. you mentioned you read, you've actually read uh, some on, on Mormonism. Yeah. Oh Yeah. And that, that's kind of actually how, how I'm here. Um, I don't know how my interest in it got started, but I just find um, it, it's such a fascinating, rich story and history. Now, I'm not talking about the, you know, the, the, the negative things and the, you know, the, the faith crisis. Um, right. And, you know, so I came on, you know, watching, you know, your shows and, you know, Dwin's shows, not so much to, you know, oh yeah, you got them right there. The book of Abraham, there's the, you know, there's the coup de gras. Uh, no, no I, you did tell me you liked those videos I produced, right? Oh yeah. 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 There you go, folks. I've got very the comprehensive, <laughs> very comprehensive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just want to, you, you know, learn and hear from, from experts or people that have been involved in their whole, whole life. Um, yeah. as much as, as much as I can, because man, I think about these, you know, I think I was telling you, boy, these guys went say from like Kirtland, they, they get booted out of there. They go over to Nauvoo and then they just put up a city, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was nope. a big city. It was the biggest city in Illinois after just a decade. Yeah. And no, you know, no bug spray, no, no nothing. And then, I, I don't know how, how they how they did it, and then they went off on their missions. And you know, some some you know one early apostle, I think he walked up and down the northeast like a like two thousand you know two thousand miles on on foot. It's just a just in you know. Yeah. I just you know I just you know love the a the, lot of determination, a lot of. A lot of energy, definitely. Now, yeah. you mentioned uh, a couple things that intrigued me. Um, you have read yeah. Brogan's book, No Man Knows My History. Yeah. And you, you talked to a little bit about me, about uh, Dan Vogel, and I've been having him on my shows. And I won't have him on this Sunday. This Sunday, I'll have another gentleman who is an insider in the Mormon history. Uh, oh, okay one of those who knew stuff that none of the rest of us do this Sunday, Tim Rathbone, but then I'm going to pick back up with Dan. Yeah. But you, you mentioned you have watched quite a few of his videos. To, tell me more about how Dan Vogel, how you feel about Dan Vogel. Cause th this was interesting to me. You know, I think there's, there's as, as humans were just uncomfortable with not knowing things and yeah there's a limit especially when it comes to history because 
you can really in history only tell what most probably likely happened, not, you know, you know exactly happened. And I think yeah. you get to the point where you really want to close that bridge. You want to really make a, a, a juicy uh, a, a point or, or, or a discovery. And if, if, you know, if, if the bridge just doesn't go there, you just, you know, you gotta, gotta leave it. You gotta leave it alone. You gotta stop or fall in the river. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and we don't know, you know, and we don't know, and you're so close and, you know, it's like kind of one of the things I call I call like the um, the it points to fallacy. You know, when people when they want to when they want to make their uh, uh, try to close that bridge, they'll say, oh, it every every it, it points to it. Everything points to to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Bogle appears to me and, and I've gotten to know him really well these last few months. And, and I've watched so many of his videos. It was his book on the book of Abraham that inspired me to make my Abraham videos because I, for the first time, and I'd been an apologist for like 15 years talking about this book of Abraham and the papyri and the facsimiles. And I actually did not grasp the, the relationship of the Kirtland Egyptian papers with the papyri, with Joseph Smith's ideas and all. And so I, I presented that. But Vogel appears to me to be a pretty uh, sober, uh, serious historian. And that's what attracts you to him as well, especially on his YouTube videos is what you were telling me, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's of course you know he he he's one of the the big players out there. But I mean, everyone loves the Vogelmeister, you know. So uh, <laughs> the Vogelmeister, hey, I'm gonna yeah. steal that one from you. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna call him man, the Vogelmeister. Yeah. yeah. So what we want to do, and that I'm gonna uh, I prepared a couple of slides, and I'll just put these slides up, and we can just kind of chat about them, talk about. Yeah, them. go for it. Uh, we're not. It, it's not a matter of coming to a consensus or whatever. We, I just want to throw some of these ideas out and share who I'm using because these aren't my arguments. They aren't my ideas, but I do find him to be genuine. And, and that's this gentleman right here. Let yeah, me... And I think we talked a little bit um, about Lennox and uh, the other, uh, I keep forgetting his name, the other. Um... Oh, uh, yeah, William Lane Craig. Craig, yeah. Where, he's more of the philosopher type. Yeah, well, my take is that William Lane Craig is more of like a, a salesman, and he's trying to sell you a product. And and I I would agree with you, you know, um, Lennox is more, yeah, more pragmatic. So, yeah, uh, let me, uh, I like John's comment, but Ross Barsky, I'm going to take you down for a minute so I can read yeah. this. Uh, John Lennox, he and and he's definitely a Christian believer. Uh, he studied science and math and history and philosophy. And the interesting thing about this guy is, since he retired from mathematics at Oxford, uh, he has been on the lecture circuit all over the world, uh, Russia and Germany and China and all over America. And so he's pretty well traveled. He's getting up in age in years. But he's done hundreds of YouTube videos, interviews, debates with atheists. He has debated uh, Dawkins a few times. He debated Christopher Hitchens. He debated Peter Atkins. He debated 
uh, Peter Singer. I mean, it's it's amazing how many debates this guy has done. And from my point of view, I, I would put him as one of the top Christian apologists on YouTube for now. Uh, he has just gone straight to the to the issues and he tells it like it is. He does study a lot of science and uh, he, he's just really incredible because he likes the big questions, what he calls the big questions. And I think that's a, oh, hey, there's Dan Vogel right now. Dan, welcome. There's the Vogelmeister. Say hi to Pat Anderson, Dan. Hi, Dan. <laughs> you know, when I, I see John Lennox, I I, I see, uh, I can't help but think of think of a, of a senior missionary with this little name tag just below, you know, his. Uh, oh, yeah, right. That's interesting. Yeah. He, like, he comes across as a real nice. He's so humble, but he comes across as a really nice grandfatherly man until he starts looking at your logic. And then he flat out skewers some of the new atheist claims that we're going to look at tonight. But uh, so, you know, and I wanted to ask you a quick question. So oh, absolutely. Can, can you define a little bit more new, new atheists? Sure. Uh, and, and, and it. And see, here we got to be a little careful here because I don't want to uh, I, I don't want to get into the labeling game. But, um, you know, I'm I'm not intending to offend by calling a militant atheist. But Dawkins is just adamant. Uh, and and Hitchens was too. Hitchens appeared to me to have a stronger intellect philosophically. And um, <laughs> yeah, he was glib. <laughs> Sometimes, but man, when Hitchens hit slapped you, oh man, you went rolling off the stage. He was awesome. There's so many videos showing him doing the hit slap, and some of them are absolutely hilarious, and they were deserved, by the way. <laughs> so Dawkins is more, being the biologist, he seems to be more of the, he strikes me as a fundamentalist, a literalist. And so it's really interesting. So the new atheists, I would say, are, uh, Richard, the 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 loud ones, the ones who wrote, the ones who do YouTube's, the one who do interviews and uh, crowd. You know, they would fill a football stadium so that they could speak to the crowds. Uh, Dawkins and Hitchens would be there. Uh, not so much Atkins or Singer, but they're definitely atheists. But also, um, Vic Stanger is one of them. Sam Harris. Oh man, and I'm forgetting the or they called the four horsemen. Maybe oh, so. Bennett. Huh? Bennett. Bennett. Yeah, Daniel Bennett. Yeah, Bennett is Dennett. I mean, not Bennett, Dennett. Dennett yeah. yeah. So they are more of the uh in your face. That's yeah. when I say new atheist. Now, of course, there's hundreds of atheists, and I've read I've got a collection of atheist books over here when I went atheist for about four years, and uh it just didn't seem to pan out for me. It's okay. You know, that's what intrigued me about your description of yourself is this agnostic atheist instead of just atheist, no God. And you're an idiot if you believe there is. I guess in a way, that's a caricature, but but in a no. way that's what I'm trying to, that's how I see the new atheist. But the agnostic, I I would actually describe myself as a 
seeker agnostic now rather than an agnostic yeah. atheist. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of in the same ballpark with each other. No big deal. So this first slide after Lennox. Oh, I guess I got what happened. There we go. Here, here is one of John's comments. And he says, the impression in our culture now in the West is that God and science don't mix, but science and atheism do mix. So that atheism is the proper background for intellectual endeavor. And he says, and this is a huge, and it is, this gigantic topic. You'd have to read hundreds of books on this, which Lennox has. He says, so the philosopher Alvin Plantinga says that this alleged conflict between science and theism is superficial. There is real concord. The concord between science and atheism is what is superficial, and there, there is real conflict. So the reason I wanted to put this slide up is to just, the impression that you get when you hear Dawkins talk, and I've watched several of his videos, I watched his debate with Lennox, and I thought they both did exceptional, and Lennox is always so gracious and kind to his uh debating partners. He knows they're brilliant scientists, and he says he, he really has an ad hominem so far as I can tell, but the reason he put this up is because there are philosophers who disagree with the atheists. The atheists give us the impression that they're right, and everyone in science and philosophy and history follow their views and accept those views. And this, because they speak with such great authority, I mean, they are brilliant scientists, then the culture has the mistaken idea that everything they say is basically science. And that's why Lennox actually got involved in the debate because, and I've got a slide I'll show us, uh, where they don't necessarily speak for science with everything they say. One Mormonism way to <laughs> that I've said this, I think I said it in my video, is just because the scientist has spoken, the thinking has not been done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, as I'm looking here, it looks like to me it's a big, it's a big, it's a big pretzel. So we can kind of, if you want to look at your page here, we can kind of knock this down a little bit. The is that the that God and science don't mix. Uh if there was a way that science could detect God, then it would be compatible. But I, I don't see how we can detect a God that we can't even really um, uh, de describe. If I ask uh, 20 different believers, what is God? What are the properties? What are the nature? I'll get different answers. A very good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, that's interesting. So what is God? Who is God? How do we describe him? Yeah. And, and in a way, uh, I would understand that I, I can understand the point of view that if even the religious folks can't get a, a, a coordinated description of God then how do we know they really know God? That makes sense? Uh, because if they can't identify God, if they don't, if they don't, if they don't all have the same descriptions yeah. of God, yeah. Then yeah, well, 
and let me clarify a, a, sure. a, a description uh, uh, is one thing, you know, and a claim is, is, is another. If you could describe it and I can go out and, you know, we can independently verify it. That's that's one thing. But I get a lot of, well, a, a lot of claims on what it, what a God is, what a God does, where a God yeah, came from. And that we could do that. It'd be completely necessary. We could say it's, well, it's uh, necessity. We have, we, you know, a God, uh, it's necessary for God to create everything in, in the, the heavens on earth. We can come up with a God that has powers that could do that. But is it necessary? Can a God, is this God that we describe, is it, is it possible for that God to do it? And that's the other, you know, the, the other, the other blade, the other blade of the, uh, uh, you know, claim. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one that, yeah. and, uh, I know that, uh, Lennox is not alone in this claim historically, mm -hmm. What he's trying to do, it appears to me, is he's trying to track down where this cultural view came from that science and God don't mix. So what he's done is he's gone back in history to Isaac Newton's day and the early European, the Middle Age European scientists. And what he said is these modern pioneers, when we study Kepler and Babbage and Newton and Galileo and Maxwell and others, uh, and now today Arno Penzias is another one. He was one of the founders of the cosmic mi microwave background, uh, which helped solidify the Big Bang as a valid scientific theory. We now, we now are faced with the prospect that the Earth had a beginning, and now we need to try to explain that beginning. That was really powerfully resisted for uh, a good 50, 60 years. It's just recently that they finally said, okay, well, we're stuck with this. We got to go with it. But so it's the, not a steady state. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, a, yeah, it's not an eternal state. Even Einstein put his uh, cosmological constant in to get rid of that, that expanding universe so that it would remain steady. And he called that the biggest blunder of his life. Yeah. <laughs> Even he thought it had to be steady. So, but these early pioneers, what Lennox has shown historically and others, and I've got a, another historian later I could show if we get that far, we don't mm -hmm. have to, but they did not have this dichotomy. They didn't have the, uh, the contest between God on the one side, science on the other. These people, the scientists that gave us today's science, they were saying it was from the basis of their belief in God that they did discover the scientific materials and ideas and laws and theorems that we have today they said it was because of their belief in God. Dawkins argues against this, but I think, honestly, the history is against him here. It's just like Kepler said, and, and this is such a 
famous saying that in the red, the chief aim of all investigations of the external world will be to discover the rational order which is imposed on it by God and which he revealed to us in the language of mathematics. So they were not skeptical of what they were finding in the universe. For instance, Newton, when he found the law of gravity, he didn't, and John Lennox loves to say this, and, and I think justifiably, Newton did not say, oh, look, I've discovered this scientific law of gravity, therefore, I don't need God. What Newton said was, and, and it's in his Principia, I've got his Principia around here somewhere. I actually bought... Good book, good book from what I understand. Great book. His uh, general scolium in this is fantastic. But he actually said... I have this law of gravity that I've discovered. And, and it's just eight small symbols, man. And it can tell us about how Kepler's elliptical uh, circulation of the planets around the sun work and, and how they stay in orbit and all. That. I mean, just fantastic stuff. And he's yeah. saying, isn't it amazing about the God who did it? this way. He didn't see it as a contest. He saw it as, oh, and the reason why, and I think this is my next slide. Let me double check. I'll put it on here. Oh, well, here we go. Yeah, this is Johannes Kepler. He, he, he was the basis for Newton figuring out his stuff. He coined a phrase that became a motto. I get this off of Wiki. Uh, he's going to phrase it became a model that was adopted by many Christian scientists, indicating that scientific research ideas and discovery were thinking God's thoughts after him. That was their worldview. He also believed that scientists must guard against the propensity to glorify our own minds instead of giving the glory to God. So the idea here is somewhere along the line from back in the 1500s, because from the 1500s to the 1700s or later, the scientists didn't have a contest with, with what they were finding in the cosmos and here on earth with God. That happens yeah. in our day. And that's one thing Lennox wanted to, wanted to uh, really emphasize, which he did. Now, now here's the mountain range. I, I took these photos. And these are the mountains that I had that scout camp in for a week. Beautiful area. What but are the mountains? What, what, uh, what are this one here is called Bell Mountain. And it's about uh, 11,300 feet. And this one is my favorite mountain in this particular mountain range. This is called the Diamond. And it's 11,700 or something like that. I've climbed that diamond back in 2000. And that was a heck of a climb. <laughs> that was amazing. Fun stuff, but beautiful country. I was just there last weekend. So, See that you're a fifth generation uh, Mormon. If you weren't, you wouldn't have been able to handle that. that, that carry. <laughs> That's true, though. I actually am. Yeah. Yeah. My great, 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 great grandfather, Peter Schertz, was known as the Daniel Boone of the West. Brigham Young kept sending him down into southern Utah to settle all of those counties down there. Escalante, Utah, and all those areas. And when Peter came back one time after 10 years, he told Brigham Young, he said, Hey, I'm ready to I'm ready to practice polygamy. And Brigham Young said, No. It's incredible. Yeah. And he goes, He was the wife know? Nazi. He was the wife Nazi. No wife's for you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the wife Nazi. I love it. <laughs> 
Yeah, and Peter said, uh, wait a minute, I, I have a right to be a polygamist. I mean, it's it's the celestial law. I'm, I'm doing everything you're asking. I'm settling several of the Mormons all over the South, down in New Mexico, Utah, Arizona. You know, the Mormons founded Las Vegas, too. Yeah, and, uh, Las Vegas, yeah. It was, the bank that helped, it was their their banks that helped uh, spawn the mafia. Yeah, yeah, right. Isn't that fascinating connection? Yeah. So my great-grandfather, my great-great-great-great-grandfather left. He left the church. And Brigham Young excommunicated him for it. He said, forget this. I'm going down to New Mexico then. I'm not going to help you out anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those fun stories. Yeah, they were rugged individuals. And this is the kind of country they had to yeah. live in. But but these guys said that uh, they believed in nature's law because they believed they were made in the image of God. And because of that concept, yeah. they said, well, then they believed in nature law because they believed in the intelligible mind of the law given. Yeah. And that didn't prevent their science. Now, one of the things the new atheists present over and over again is, well, Hitchens, religion poisons everything. You know, that's such a dogmatic statement that it's almost useless. Uh, it has problems, but it doesn't poison everything. I've got some interesting information on that, too. And Dawkins saying, you know, the God delusion, et cetera. They want to stamp it out so that science is the enemy of religion and religion is always the culprit. If that was the case, though, none of these guys would have succeeded in their science because they were... The, their basis of discovery was based on the intelligible mind behind the universe. That was how that. Yeah. So, so let me, if I, let me respond to that. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, so all of these wonderful uh, discoveries that, uh, you know, these enlightenment scientists made, I mean, even go back to, you know, Archimedes and, 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 and those guys, right. none of those, none of these profound discoveries are in the Bible. In the Bible, we get things like, um, you know, don't drink, you know, drink uh, milk out of a certain, uh, you know, udder, uh, mm -hmm. something like that. We get things, we get dreams, we get visions. Sometimes we even get visions and dreams. You know, we, we you know, we get things where Jesus comes down, takes the invalid. Uh, when the angel comes down, stirs the water. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. But we don't have anything about, you know, like the differential equations, uh, hydrology, you know, True. geology. We don't have we don't we don't have that. So the the most important book for the Christian faith, I'm just it, it doesn't make any sense why none of these uh, the, these profound discoveries would not be in, in the book. But they could say but they say that, well, I was inspired by god but it should have been in the should have been in the book should have been in the text yeah that's an interesting approach uh-huh yeah i see that yeah. yeah you know the other thing that i that i also that i uh that i find curious is that we look at these very smart people you know arguably the smartest people of all time yeah. and to from my understanding that god is uh knows everything or God maximally knows everything. Um, omnipresent, um, omni, you know, omniscient, omnipresent, all of that, all of those things. So 
if if we if we took like my intelligence, which I barely clawed my way through high school, and uh, <laughs> you and me both, pal. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then we take like, you know, Isaac Newton, which would be magnitudes, you know, smarter than someone like me. Way up yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. But we're talking the, 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 the all knowing knowledge of God. So yeah. just because these are really smart people, it seems like it would be such a fractional difference between how closer they could get with their knowledge to God. Mm hmm. Than, than than someone like someone like me so it's kind of like a uh, you know an argument from um uh from from authority in a way you know he's a smart guy but if this is an infinitely smart being then i don't understand just how that oh 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 one percent or however you want to slice it of our intelligence compared to that god's intelligence gets you to uh to you know to close that uh, to close that bridge uh-huh uh-huh interesting interesting let's go to this next one good comment so i've got to shut off this comment here okay now here here is where he is finding the difference uh he says think of isaac newton who basically said don't discount the creator because it is inconceivable that accidents alone can be the controller of this universe you know and then i went ahead and quoted the same idea Newton said it better in the general scolium of the Principia. Uh, he said, this most elegant system of the sun, the planets, and comets could not have risen without design and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. Now, that's in the uh, general scolium of the Principia. It's in the back, and that is his general overall philosophical approach to why this book. And his idea was because it shows the intelligence of the creator. And then Stephen Hawking, who occupied Newton's chair at Cambridge, he says God did not create the universe. So there has been definitely an intellectual shift here. The multiverse universe's creation uh, or the multiple universes creation does not require the intervention of some supernatural being or God, according to Hawking. It is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue torch paper and set the universe going. That's in his book, uh, The uh, Grand Design. I forgot to put that in there. I apologize. Yeah. So, so here we have two geniuses, both brilliant scientists. So it is not the science that divides them. Now, this was an interesting point, I thought. So it is not God on one side and science on the other side. It's two different personal worldviews, atheism and theism, that is happening in this debate. And there are scientists on both sides. For instance, the, the Nobel Prize winners of physics, uh, I believe he said the statistic was from 1990 to 2000, 45% of the Nobel Prize winners were atheist and 55% were Christian. So it's not the science that's this change in the, the that's separating. I mean, the Nobel Prize physics is the highest you can go, you know, <laughs> and they're yeah, all doing I, science, I, correct. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I'm, I'm not sure I would um, uh, agree with that, 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 that statement um we'll look into it a little bit but i i don't think that i don't think that that that'd be quite accurate i i 
would think that the vast majority are um, atheists or they uh, they use God in kind of like a deistic sense or the God of physics. That, that, well, that's not atheism, that, though. That, that would count as a theistic view. Even if it's a deistic view, it, it's still theism. So, yeah, they've done studies. They've they've asked the Nobel Prize winners, and uh, it's it's pretty close to split 50-50 that it's some are yeah. Christian, some are Muslim and believe in deities, some are and and some are atheists. So, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, I uh, yeah, it, it has a, I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think I agree with that, with that, uh, with that, uh. Um, no, but they that that's based on that's based on surveys. That's the actual Nobel Prize winners talking and telling. Yes, I'm a I'm a or I'm I'm an atheist or whatever. So I'm I'm just saying that's the recent okay. information according to Lennox. Now I I'll admit I have not looked into this. I I probably will, but uh, I thought that was interesting. I too actually like you're thinking. Uh, I thought, well, wait a minute. I mean, I thought, see, this is this is the way the new atheists have influenced our culture. They make it sound like there's absolutely no Christians in science whatsoever, and certainly not Nobel Prize winners. But I mean, you've got Francis Collins. Uh, Bill Williams just recently won it. They're Christians, so so I think the atheists are going over that bridge too far in trying to completely isolate science from any kind of religious influence at all. That's the unrealistic point of view. So, well, the, we, we can the agree to disagree. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Not a, not a big deal. We're we're exploring, so it, it's just fascinating to to see it. So, okay, let's go to this next slide. Oh, and and I thought this was interesting. Um, here's where where uh, Hawking is being challenged somewhat. So, for instance, does the law of gravity tell us what gravity is? It doesn't, you know. But it is brilliant. I mean, we send people to the moon, but the law itself, this equation here. This does not tell us what gravity is. And Wittgenstein himself, one of the very famous philosophers, said the greatest defect of our modernism is that the laws of nature are explanations of the phenomenon of nature. They're not. The laws of nature are simply descriptions of what is normally happening. And here's where the confusion yeah. is set in with the new atheists, because here's what Hawking says. He contradicts itself in saying the law of gravity is the cause of the universe creating itself from nothing. But the laws of nature cause nothing. They only explain what happens when things go bump in the night or even in the day. The law presupposes gravity already exists, and gravity is not nothing, as Hawking erroneously avers. So they're, they're, they've gotten to the point where they're saying the laws are the cause, and they're not. So it appears there's some confusion. And, and it's like Einstein said, and Lennox points this out. He said, Einstein said, uh, 
scientists are poor philosophers. They're so ingrained in doing their science, which is absolutely fabulous. Technology is a wonderful spinoff of science. I mean, here we are on this magnificent computer, you know. Yes, you darn right. I use the iPhone. <laughs> I love yeah. my technology. Yeah, yeah. engineering and cause their philosophy of understanding the difference between causes and relations of laws is muddied up some somehow somewhere they've gotten off track with that so that that's what i was and and i do believe he's got an even clearer demonstration in this next slide Yes. Yeah. And okay. So here's Linux directly taking apart now. And this is in, this is in, uh, this is in uh, Stephen Hawking and Leonard Mladenow, the grand design. It was the last book he wrote and, and fantastic uh, cosmological knowledge. Unfortunately, it's horrible logic and horrible philosophy. And here's what he said. First off, he really ticked off. Now, understand, Hawking was at Cambridge. And when he said philosophy is dead, all of the philosophers of Cambridge, of course, took exception to that. They said, ah, you're just stone cold idiotic on that comment. Philosophy isn't dead at all. <laughs> so he said, philosophers have not kept up with scientific discovery. Therefore, scientists have become the bearers of the torch of discovery in our quest for knowledge. Now, that statement, scientists have become the bearers of the torch of discovery in our quest for knowledge, that is not a statement of science. It's Hawking's personal philosophy. So he, he says philosophy is dead, and then he writes an entire book on his philosophy of cosmology. It just doesn't make sense. He, he's really kind of muddied up here. Because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. And then he goes on to say, according to M-theory, ours is not the only universe. These multiple universes arise naturally from physical law and no supernatural deity is needed. But again, the laws don't cause anything. That's the problem with that argument of Hawking. And that's his main argument in the grand design. What he's trying to do is get rid of God by saying the universe itself takes over God's function. But that's illogical, like he says down here. He says the universe causes itself. That's like saying uh, if you ask X creates Y, presupposes X exists in the first place in order to create Y. If we say X creates X, we imply that we are presupposing the existence of X to create itself from nothing, and that is self-contradictory and logically incoherent. It's nonsense even if Hawking writes it. So there, there's part of the problem. But yet Hawking had such great uh, cultural... I mean, he was the most famous scientist in the world, you know. He overcame that Lou Gehrig's disease, and even in that wheelchair, it didn't stop him. So... But there is a confusion going on here, according to Lennox. So, yeah, oh, I forgot. It's good. Uh, keep going. I forgot my uh, train of train of thought there. I was going to re reply to that, but go keep keep going. Okay, okay. Let's go on to this next one. 
and and this was important. And, and this is funny to no, get out. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I oh, okay. So, um, I, I don't see how a god fixes that fixes that problem, because the god is the same category. A god, uh, not according to has always been here. Uh, can do can do anything. Um, they're saying that the universe can't, but the god, but the god can. Yeah, yeah, I, and so the, I, yeah. So I don't, I, I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how a, how a, 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 a god squares that circle. Interesting point. Yeah, yeah. The way Lennox would say it was, uh, he said, um, the scientists in Newton's day did not worry about what God could do. Let's look at what God did do. And what they were doing is they were going against the Aristotelian science, you know, back at Aristotle, way back in the day, centuries earlier, millennia earlier, said, we don't need to look at nature. We have philosophy. And so we can, we can use our minds and the perfect, the perfect, uh, orbit of a planet would be a circle because the circle is the perfect shape representing God. Therefore, all the orbits are circular. We don't have to measure them. Kepler comes along and Newton comes along and says, well, what happens if we actually do measure them and look, right? And then they discovered the laws. And so, yeah, but I, I get your objection. That That's an interesting point. Yeah. You want to read this one out loud? Okay, I'm making put my glasses on. Yeah, I'll give you a break. Okay, uh, let's see. Statements by scientists who are not always statements by scientists are not always statements of science. Okay, we got um, Hawkins here. Uh, religion is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the dark. And then um, Lennox would reply, "Atheism is a fairy tale, uh, fairy tale for those people who are afraid of the light." <laughs> neither, neither of these um, state, neither of these are statements of science. They are statements by scientists, but they're not statements of science. There's important to ex to distinguish. Just because a scientist says something does not mean it is science. A scientist who steps out of his field is just as dumb as the next guy, Feynman. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, so what I find interesting about that is we're we're talking about something that's a, a a supernatural entity so we can have a mathematician we could have a physicist we could have whatever but if you're trying to detect the supernatural you're definitely stepping out of your if there's no way to detect that supernatural uh presence then you're definitely stepping out of your out of your field good point interesting yeah yeah that's interesting yeah um and and when when I see the religion is a fairy tale for the dark, and then the and then Lennox's replies, it's a fairy tale for those for those who are afraid of the of the light. I just see it as just trying to uh, win a win an, uh, an argument, just like when you're a kid, you know who's first, who's going to be first to, at bat. You know, you take this, and then you know, and then oh, I'm on top. Got you know <laughs> exactly, and that's how Lennox portrayed this exchange too. Every time he read this out loud, every time he gave this description, uh, the audience just laughs like crazy because these are not statements of science. 
They're just statements that have no scientific meaning. And yet, when Stephen Hawking, because he was so famous, because he helped us understand, wonderfully so, black holes and the cosmos and all that, when he made this statement, everyone just accepted it. And, and it's, it's a silly statement. That's why Lennox's reply is also silly. It's designed to show the silliness that people take everything a scientist says seriously when, in fact, they shouldn't. So, so that's kind of a that's kind of a fun illustration of that. So, so when okay, so religion, I would assume you 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 believe in you you believe in the the, the Christian God. Me right? personally, I, yeah. I don't I don't know. I'm oh, not, okay. Oh, I'm I thought you were. Oh, okay. No, okay. I'm sharing I'm sharing some of the uh, discussion that I put in the new atheists defeat themselves videos and you were responding to in the comments. I'm just sharing more of that because what religion is a big point of view. Yeah. I do find him very persuasive and he's a straightforward yeah. Christian defender. Yeah. He's one of the better ones. But yeah, this is the, yeah, I wish I could think like this. I don't have near the wit or the knowledge of John Lennox. He's good. But yeah, this is John Lennox's ideas. We're just kind of looking at them on both sides. So I, I'm sure John Lennox would say that you know that the the Muslim faith is a fairy tale. I'm sure he would say the Zoroastrian astroisms are are a, are a fairy tale. The Buddhists are are a. Fairy Actually, tale. he doesn't. But but he doesn't agree with their religious tenets just so far as I like I say he's got hundreds of videos and I've watched about but he would believe those tenets would be fairy tales I would imagine I don't know if he would call them fairy tales I think he was just being sarcastic against Hawking uh, he has shown great respect to the well the Chinese Tao and the Muslim he's got friends all over the world in all the different faiths including atheism so I, I don't know if he would do it. I think he was doing this way to illustrate a point more than to denigrate. He certainly wasn't denigrating Stephen Hawking. He was just using this as an illustration. I, I personally have not seen him. I've watched about 40 of his videos. I haven't seen him denigrate anybody. He really does have a great respect for a lot of people and all the different views. His idea is what I'm practicing with you. Thank you again for being on my show as an atheist. His idea is let's just take a look at various different views and let's see where the evidence is and how people think and all that. Because instead of going to war, like used to happen, just because someone disagrees with you, we can sit down, we can have a wonderful discussion. Even though we don't agree, we can still be friends. And I love that approach. That's why I'm so grateful that I stopped myself. And now here I'm having a fabulous discussion with a wonderful friend, a new friend, instead of fighting you in the comments and both of us yelling at each other and pulling our hair out. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. yeah. 
yeah, no, it's uh, if 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 you uh, need to if you want to make your point, you need to uh, you know step up and make your point, not just hide behind uh, some comments and some jingoism. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Good point. Okay, and then then his. You want me to read this one? Are you okay, Carrie? Would you like to? Sure. Yeah, you go ahead. You bet. It is absurd to think that science tells us everything there is to know about the universe. Science is no more competition. Science is no more in no more competition with God as explanation than the Ford external combustion engine is in competition with Henry Ford as an explanation for the motor car. This is a fundamental elementary philosophical mistake many atheists mistake atheists make excuse me they imagine we must have either one explanation or an other when in point in fact it takes two explanations neither neither in in competition nor in contradiction with each other there is a scientific explanation and an agency explanation so go ahead yeah yeah, so I, I think going back to the very beginning of the show is that, yeah, we can demonstrate something that's uh, uh, necessary and something that, that's, that's sufficient. So, yeah, we make the claim that there's, that there's this, 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 that there's a God, but you have to show that the God, you know, exists exists and and, yeah. and, it, and it can do what the the, the claims that the uh, theists say that the god is doing well understand though that's part of lennox's point uh at least as far as i understand him so far i haven't seen all of his videos but um he makes the claim that uh the scientists the newton and the keplers and the babbage and the uh the boyles and the james clerk maxwell's they were showing the evidence for God. It is the universe. That was their approach. That yeah. has shifted in our day for whatever reason. And so, yeah, yes, I, I, I understand the point, and I take that point in some measure with you. I, I am in agreement. Uh, if I mean, that's a pretty big claim, you know. Well, God made the universe. Oh, really? I mean, when you're really, and especially now with this new James Webb telescope, is that not absolutely breathtakingly spectacular? The cosmos it's showing. We're Boy, in. that picture of Jupiter, did you see that? Oh, yes. Yeah. And then that those great big pillars of dust, they yeah. call the pillars of creation, five light years long? Yeah. Wow, in a jet rocket, it would take us millions of years just to fly the length of one of those fingers, man. That, that's just staggering beyond incredible. So the claim is magnificent. So, yeah, and see, this is why um, I'm not going to, for me personally, I'm not going to say no, and I'm not to the point to where I can say yes. <laughs> so I, I say I'm still looking. In, in my in my thinking, based on your describing yourself as an agnostic atheist, you're somewhat along that spectrum, I would imagine. What What do you think? I, Are I you? Say, I'm not I trying would, to put words in your mouth. I, I would say I'm 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 fairly sure there there is no God, but I'm not going to 
I'm not going to rule that that out, but I am, yeah, fairly certain in a, to the point where I bet my eternity on it that there is no God. But like I said, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to say there is no God because then now the the burden of proof would shift to me, and I would have to, you know, make make a case that there that there is no God, and we know Russell's teapot floating around. And here's our friend Dan Bogle. Atheism is not grounded in science, but in philosophy. Science can only make God an unnecessary hypothesis. Uh, And that's even questionable. I'll just put that in there. There are those who would disagree, and and that's all good. That's the whole point of the whole discussion, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Basically, what science, what it boils down to is just making, you know, measurements and calculations and then we can uh that are falsifiable and then the other scientists can can challenge in that look at it until there's just nothing more to 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 look at anymore but that's basically what science is you have to have uh you know something that's you know demonstrable measurable that you can that you can work with and if the super if in I don't know how you would, you know, how you would do that with the super, the supernatural. Yeah, well, and and then too, again, if I could add a caveat to that, also, uh, entirely agree with you. That's the, uh, uh, that's the uh, Karl Popper approach. This falsifiability, however, on a one-time event, science can't really measure the Big Bang, uh, and so we have to use the abduction argument um you know we have to we have to look at the evidence and come to the best explanation based on what we can know because it, in a in a non-repeatable <laughs> event you know it's kind of like a murder you know you can't yeah. you're sherlock holmes you can't say okay yeah. now let's replay this and you you stand up and go get murdered again so we can see it we have to use the clues we have so yes to your point entirely with the Popperian background, but um, now we've, we've gotten to the point in our science, I guess I'm saying that we would have to also include a different level. There are things we can't repeat, but we still need to try to test it and find evidence for it. So, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Excellent. Yeah. All right. I I wanted to go back when you said that you you made a you made a statement about the Big Bang. They can't measure it or what? What did you? uh, Well, it it can't be repeat. It can't be repeated. It's only a one time event. That's what I'm. I apologize. I did say it that way. Okay. But it's not repeatable. We can't tell the universe, hey, would you go back and bang again so we can measure it? (laughs) Right. Yeah. yeah. So. So we we there is a in science. we, the, but science does have a pretty good understanding going all the way to the Planck time. On I won't argue with that at all. Isn't it awesome? I mean, really, truly. Yes. <laughs> That's spectacular. Yes, correct. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And yes. I think one of the biggest mysteries of uh, humanity has been answered. How long has the universe been here? It's about 13.8 billion years. We, I think we take that. I really think we take that for, for granted. 
Well, and, and the nice thing, now the real interesting thing, this is what makes science so exciting and so magnificent to us as people, because here we are <laughs> on this pale blue dot, to use our lovely Carl Sagan's metaphor, which is beautiful description, I should say, pale blue dot on a typical arm of a typical galaxy that's just basically kind of small in trillions of galaxies. And yet, us, a mere speck of dust, virtually nothing, we can calculate the age of the universe. Yeah. I mean, that gives you goose pimples, man. Yeah. That, that, kind of, that kind of ability with our minds is so fabulous. So, yeah, let, lest they think that uh, that's the that, – and I, I'm going to confess, um, I – I have become impressed with John Lennox because he is scientist slash Christian. And, and he, he is not one of those silly Christians who denigrates the science in order to elevate the Christian. He says, oh, heavens no. He said, man, Christianity gave me my subject. I, I love science too. That's... Nice. In my opinion, that puts John Lennox in the upper crust. The the Christians who become anti-science or Mormons who become anti-science, uh, no. That for me, that's a complete dead end. No, you don't denigrate. I mean, look at what it's doing for us for Pete's sake. It's fabulous. So anyway, yeah. It, no, it could also, uh, you know, it, it could also uh it could also finish us off. Look at the uh, internal combustion engine. <laughs> there you go. And and see, the, and, and it's like a two-edged sword in that respect. Yeah. But, but and, and I think we both understand in that instance, though, I, I, I agree with you. You're right. In this instance, though, um, it wouldn't be science per se that's the evil. It's how we use it. So So that would end up again on our shoulders. Yeah, you can use an automobile for absolutely wonderful purpose. I mean, the ambulance, fire trucks, so on and so forth. The internal combustion can be one of our very best friends compared to the horse and buggy days. And yet, you can also use the automobile to kill people. Depends on how we use the science. So science, I, I'm going to emphasize this, and I, and I think you would agree with me, science is not the culprit so yeah it's not it's not the negative so thank you for bringing that up excellent point sure. shall we go to this next one here and see what do, oh, do you want oh, me to read it are you good carrie uh yeah if, if you'd like to sure go ahead talking Absolutely. a lot i'll i'll, I'll oh, help no, you out yeah. here wonderful okay newton's law of gravity and three laws of motion have never moved a billiard ball across a pool table in all the history of the universe, people with people with cues do that. The laws describe the motion. They are not. They do not create create it or cause it to work. Okay, there yep. is a deep philosophical philosophical confusion about what the laws of physics can do. Laws of nature describe how nature operates and how different parts of nature interact with each other. They do not cause the natural world to come in, in existence in the first place. No law of nature 
can close the casual discontinuity between nothing and the origin of nature itself. Laws describe but do not cause events. Yeah, that, again, I, that's, I even, yeah. That, that's trying to uh, clear out the confusion of so many scientists now saying that the laws are causing the subatomic particles to blink in and out of existence. And the laws are causing uh, the motion of the planets and all that jazz. They're not a cause, they're a description. Yeah, that, that was why I put that in there. So, Well, yeah, the laws, people, I think there's a misconception where they think that, that the laws of nature, uh, you, you, it, you have to... Uh, there's a, a, a scientific um, theory, and for that to graduate, it needs to graduate to natural laws, which isn't the case. Natural laws fit into a, into a theory. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't really understand what he, what, um, there's a lot going on. There is, and, and what he's responding to here, what these two gentlemen are responding to here is Hawking's claim that because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. The law of gravity can't cause the universe to do anything. The universe, matter has to exist first in order for a law of gravity to even make sense. So there's some confusion with the way the physicists are describing the laws. That's what these guys are pointing out. Because law does not cause. Law describes. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's sort of like it always, you know, law is, is always happens. And it's, you know, it's, you know, it, it's repetable. You know, of course, you got the, you right. know, the problem of induction, but that's, you know, that's something else. But yeah, yeah, that's just another further, deeper level of explanation. So, okay, now um, I'll, I'll read this one because the print's so small. Sorry, okay. I had to make it small. Th there's an urban legend going around that I thought was very interesting. Uh, and you can find, I don't have the detail of the reference uh, Steve Meyer in his book, uh, The Return of the God Hypothesis, described this. He saw this on a show of Neil deGrasse Tyson. And if we say God did it, this God of the gaps indeed could be a science stopper. Now, Neil deGrasse Tyson said Newton in his Principia Mathematica, for the first time in his entire record of the discovery of the laws of mechanics and the laws of gravity, Isaac Newton says God must step in and fix things. And what Tyson is referring to is Newton's description of keeping planetary orbits stable. Now, the response from Meyer says Newton did indeed believe. In other words, what Tyson is saying is Newton believed in a God of the gaps. Meyer disagrees with 
Newton with Tyson's characterization of Isaac Newton. Here's what Meyer says. He says, Newton did indeed believe that God sustains the orderly concourse of nature and in what we call the laws of nature. He says in the Principia, in him, that is God, are all things contained and moved. In the general scolium of the Principia, Newton argued that these laws could preserve the stability of the planetary orbits in the solar system, but only the design of an intelligent and powerful being, as Newton described, could have at first established the position of the orbits. So Newton knew of two complementary but distinct powers of God, ordinary power of sustaining and absolute power, God accomplishes special acts of creation or design complementary to the laws of nature. Newton did not postulate occasional, special, or singular acts of God in place of law-like description of planetary motion or to remedy the irregularities of the orbits of the planets in nature or fixing those irregularities or rectifying instabilities. So part of this issue, and this is kind of like a side note, but I mean, yeah, in a way it appears that we're splitting hairs here. However, the issue is the atheists, and I'm not calling Tyson an atheist. I have in former videos, I've had some people say, yeah, he, he has basically come out against a creator. And in other videos, he's not quite doing that. So I'm going to call him an atheist, not disparagingly. He just doesn't believe in God. So they are attempting in their subtle ways when, when right here, whoops, sorry. Oh, hold on. Let me put this back in. Oh, there we go. When, when Tyson here says that Isaac Newton says, God must step in and fix things. I, Isaac Newton does not say that. Now, that's why I, it was this statement of Neil deGrasse Tyson that caused me to buy the Principia and read it for myself. Newton does not say that. Tyson is somewhat misusing Newton in order to make it look like Newton's God was a God of the gaps. Meyer is disagreeing with that. And he's saying, no, he's not using God as a God of the gaps or fixing things because he messed up. That was not Newton's approach. So that, that's what this is about. Again, this theme that we have gotten too careless in this argument, in this discussion between God and science, or in the worldview discussion between theism and atheism, We've gotten a little, our scientists, our popularizers, brilliant though they are, wonderful though they are. I love watching Mike, or Mike, sorry, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I loved watching Mike Tyson too. That boy could knock his opponent out. But I've watched several of his videos and he is such an excellent explainer. Yet when he comes to this, these scientists who accepted God, he gets a little sloppy. And so, yes, it's somewhat of a nitpick, but it's actually important because Tyson now also, just like Hawking, 
Tyson has become one of the most popular scientists out there, justifiably so. He's wonderful. I love watching his stuff. But here he's just wrong, and that's okay. That doesn't refute any of his science. It's just saying we have to, we, public, we have to be careful in accepting everything a scientist says just because they're a scientist. That's so, basically yeah. So, so, so yeah. I guess what I'm saying is Isaac Newton is saying that there has to be a prime mover for the, for the laws of nature. Yeah, he's accepting or, that God created the universe. Yeah. Why? Uh, so what I would want to know from him is why does there have to be a prime mover? And how and maybe how does the uh, prime mover, how does his, uh, you know, hands, uh, you know, reach into the realm of uh, reality and you know, set things on their course or change things. Wouldn't that be fun to be able to ask him that question, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I, yeah. I would, now, now, and, and see, again, you and I here, <laughs> I'm afraid, we may be revealing a little bit of our ignorance of Isaac Newton. I haven't read everything he wrote. I mean, he also wrote the book, The Optics, of course. And so... I'm not quite sure what his full uh, justification and range of thought is. Oh, yeah. From what I understand, he had a lot of uh, personal papers that didn't make it into into yes. publications. Yes. Yeah. And this is the scientific bias because Newton studied and wrote as much about religion and as he did with science. But who's ever read those? They didn't even show up until just a few decades ago. They didn't even mention Newton's religious studies, which were every bit as intense as his scientific ones. So, again, this idea of the, the I'm going to say atheist bias. I, I hope I'm not misconstruing that, but, but the scientific bias because he was religious. Oh, well, we can't allow the public to think that. Well, why not? That was Isaac Newton's worldview. It's okay if you disagree with it, but why do you have to suppress it? Yeah. That uh, becomes I, kind of an well, issue, you know? As smart, you know, as maybe the greatest scientist that ever lived, I mean, we're still talking 600 some with, with years the ago. book ever published on physics, the Principia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's still, I mean, it's still hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and we made a lot of, uh, you know, discover, you know, discoveries along the way. And nothing that says, hey, you know, you know, Isaac Newton is is right. There's this prime mover. We can go out there and we can, you know, we can detect him besides things like, you know, visions and dreams and, and uh you know, uh, you know, I beat, you know, I, I'm not an alcoholic anymore because, uh, you know, I don't drink anymore because of, uh, you know, you know, Jesus, uh, gave me the power to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Okay. Uh, how you doing? You want another one? Yeah, let's do another one. Should we look at one more? Yeah, I didn't think we get through all of these, but we're about at an hour and a half, and this is so much fun to do with you. Do you mind if I extend it just a little bit? Yeah, go for it. This is quite a delight to have you on the show. So 
Let's okay. Yeah, I've got to do this one okay. now. And I and I've got a personal. Okay, now here's my beef. Here here's my situation. I, I'll, I'll tell you what. After I'm done talking for a second, you can read the green, and I'll read the orange. Okay, we'll split okay. this. Okay, okay, so here's my thing with Dawkins. I've read his Blind Watchmaker, The Greatest Show on Earth, The Devil's Chaplain. Uh, I, I do know he has a couple of new books that I have not read just yet. I've just, yeah, I ran out of time and, and I've read his uh, The God Delusion. Now, I'm, I'm, this, this is before I ever discovered John Lennox. This was, I actually read Dawkins uh, in my waning days as an apologist. And I really loved his greatest show on earth. That book was fun. His Blind Watchmaker just truly impressed me. But the God Delusion, for whatever reason, just didn't cut the mustard. But I couldn't put my finger on it as much as I was hoping. And now since those days, I've done a lot of Googling on Dawkins. I've read a lot of the reviews. I've read his book. And honest, just straightforward. Uh, and I, I, I might take the, I might take it in the teeth here, but John Lennox defeats Richard Dawkins, even in his YouTube debate. I thought both times John Lennox did a little bit better. Dawkins did fabulous. And, and it's like Steve Meyer says about Dawkins. What I really appreciate about Dawkins is he really is excellent at framing the question and the issue. The new atheists have that skill. And so you're never lost about where they're coming from. And, and that's awesome. That keeps things somewhat clear until they begin to philosophize and then they fall all apart. So anyway, so when I read him, I, I was not as impressed with his God delusion, honestly. And and by that time, I was heading into atheism, but I didn't find him nearly as persuasive as some of the other atheists that I began to buy and read. The more philosophical ones, those guys impressed me. And I'm not trying to denigrate this man, that this is not ad hominem. He's you know what? He's not everyone's cup of tea, I'll tell you. I'll He's that. vastly superior in science and, and stuff than I ever will be. So, I mean, grant him his credit, fundamentally so. So, anyway, if you'd like to read the green one, and then I'll read the orange one, then we can Sounds talk. Good. Sounds sure. good. Sure. And, yeah, I, I prefer uh, I prefer Hitchens. He comes off more as a, a proper English dandy than uh, a doctor. <laughs> An English dandy. I love that. <laughs> Okay, Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, uses a psychiatric term, delusion, so he's outside his field of biology. Is it accurate? No. What do the scientific psychiatrists say about that? The president of the Royal College of Psychiatry does not regard God as a delusion at all. Dawkins is ignoring the actual scientific psychological Epidemiological. 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 Okay, I'll fit all the syllables in there. <laughs> Studies of the the connection of the correspondence between the belief in a god and personal human well-being. Now Dawkins is claiming to be a scientist, 
when he says these things, his work on this is not scientific at all. It falls apart. Dawkins says that atheists have no faith. And when he writes a 438-page book explaining his beliefs, and he does not see the irony, he is confused about the faith altogether. His logic is as a, a precious little to offer. Okay. Yeah. So, and so, Dawkins' logic continued incoherently with his claim that God is no explanation for anything. So about halfway through the God delusion, he's talking about explanation. He says God simply cannot be used as an explanation for anything because he would have to be far more complex than what is being explained. So you logically cannot use something more complex than what you're explaining. So what do we do? When we apply Dawkins' own logic to himself, let's see what happens. I pick up a book, The God Delusion, and it's a big book, 438 pages or so. It's rather complex. So I ask about its origin, and I'm told that the book was created in the infinitely more complex brain of Richard Dawkins. Well, I dismiss that because the explanation is vastly more complex than the thing being explained. If I was to say, look here, here is an internal combustion engine, and here is Henry Ford. Now, you have to pick which one of these explanations explains the engine. The scientific explanation of heat, chemistry, metal composition, and pressure, or Henry Ford? Well, you would think I was loony. But a Dawkins meme says it must be either or, one or the other. But that's all wrong. You have to have both explanations. And notice that they don't compete with each other. And also notice that they don't contradict each other. The existence of a mechanism that does something, the universe, hint, hint, is not in itself an argument for the non-existence of an agent who designed it. And that's a couple of the, the huge logical contradictions about Dawkins. Again, fantastic scientist, one of the world's greatest, but his philosophy just lacks rigor and coherence and logic. So, so in the very, the very the last, uh, the last sentence here, the existence of a mechanism that that does something, the universe, hint, hint, is not in itself an argument for the non-existence of an agent who who designed it. So, Correct. so, w what does that mean to you? Uh, just exactly what it says. Dawkins' approach is that we have a universe that is so complex. Yes. And in order to get rid of God, we say the universe, the scientific explanation is the only possible explanation of the universe. Because God is going to be infinitely more complex to explain as the cause than the universe. And that's the problem with his logic, because Dawkins is more complex than what he created.
his book. So why is something more complex not a good Henry Ford is vastly more complex than the internal combustion. And isn't that how we think? This is what else John Lennox thinks. When I took auto class in college, when I studied the engine, and I only did one semester, so I never got very far, but I got far enough to get all the different pieces, parts, and how the actual function of the engine worked, I was blown away at the miracle, the genius of the engine. And that's how our minds work. I, I paint. I do oil painting. Okay. I think I know where you're coming from. Yeah. Okay. That helps me appreciate art. It doesn't make it less important. You know, so this is what he's trying to get across is we have this mechanism, the universe. Well, that doesn't explain away the need for a creator. That doesn't prove God doesn't exist but by itself any more than the internal combustion proves that Henry Ford didn't exist. You need both explanations from John Lennox's point of view that this is his this is his approach to show why Dawkins logic doesn't work in his argument against God. Isn't there a little bit of a category uh, error category in there? Category mistake, yes. Because we know Henry Ford exists and we can pretty much you right. know, deduce that Henry Ford made, you know, designed a, a internal combustion engine, but we're used, but he's using that to justify, well, there's a, a universe and then there has to be a God well, he, yeah, he's using it as an analogy or or a metaphor. That's true. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I yeah. see where you're coming from. Yep, but but as a as a metaphor, it cuts across Dawkins' logic for saying God doesn't exist because of the complexity. That's what. Dawkins says you can't use God as an explanation because he's too complex. He would be more complex in the universe, and that's absurd. See, that's reductionism, explanation from the bottom up, right? Everything reduces to physics and chemistry in reductionism. So he's so showing... Making, that, uh, so is, is uh, Dawkins making like an Occam's razor argument? Is, no, is, Dawkins, you take it? Dawkins is completely illogical. It doesn't have anything to do with Occam's razor. But if he's saying that the universe is complex, so we need something complex to design the universe, is that? Is that no, no, Dawkins is saying you can't use something more complex than the universe to explain it. That's the problem of Dawkins' argument. That's why Dawkins gets rid of God. He says, look, as complex as this universe is, if you're going to postulate a God, you have to realize you're postulating something vastly more complex than the universe, and that's absurd. But if that's true, and we apply that same logic back at Richard Dawkins, it yeah. shows the problem. Yeah. So that's one of his issues with Dawkins. And of course, now realize... <laughs> Lennox debated Dawkins several times. And so they're, they are friendly competition. I mean, they go out to dinner and all that, but, but they definitely do disagree with each other. So, But John Lennox isn't the only one pointing out some of the 
problems with Dawkins' arguments. But yeah, we can call it good there, can't we? Just the, we can. the idea is the idea is what Lennox wants to accomplish, and I think he's doing a decent job of it. And now also because the philosophers have now jumped into this, and because of the other scientists, even the other atheist scientists are jumping into this and they're saying, you know, uh, we also don't like Dawkins' book and approach, but that doesn't mean we accept the Christian argument, but we can do this a different way. The reason Lennox jumped on this is, says, yeah, you know, the new atheists have had 10 years with nobody actually rising to discuss it with them. I'm going to do that, and then we can let the public see the other sides. And I personally really find that attractive. So, yeah, anyway, yeah. So that's that's kind of that that's kind of what I wanted to. I've got a few more slides, but we I, I've got another ten slides. It'll take us another two hours to get through. <laughs> Fun <laughs> stuff, though. Maybe we can get back together and and do the Let's other do it. Yeah. the other ten slides and uh, yeah. Do it. So um, it looks like our it looks like our uh, audience has had a boatload of fun. Do you have any last closing comments you want to say, Pat, before we close uh, out? Yeah, sure. I'll give you the last word, my friend. I am depending on my um, Jupiter talisman for. Dude, you've got a Jupiter's talisman. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, don't tell right me. Right in my pocket. Don't tell me you're gonna don't tell me you're gonna show us a seer stone too. <laughs> well, not a seer stone, but I do. Funny that you mentioned that. I do have my oh, what do you got? What's that? That is the uh stone from the Nauvoo uh foundation, the original foundation that they dug up and they sell it at the, the, the gift shop. There no yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? Now, where'd you yeah. get that? How'd you get that? I think that's on the uh, Nauvoo. Uh, they're, they're, they, there's a, they got a gift gift store, a, a gift shop there. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the the, the the name of it, but I've talked to a, a couple LDS people and they said, oh yeah, we used to have those in our in our house. Well, but, did, you, did you go to Nauvoo to get that? Have you? No, been I want to go. I can't oh. wait to, to go. Yeah. yeah but if this was in the foundation, the prophet probably, you know, his eyes were could have been right on this right on this block here. No kidding, man. Yeah. Now, of course, that Jupiter's talisman. Come on, fess up. That wasn't in Joseph Smith's pocket, was it? No, no. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. It, it was uh, uh, it, it was off of eBay. Okay. Yeah, it was not the original. That is cool, though. So they do make replicas of that and you've got one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How cool. Yeah. How yeah. fun. Now, now, of course, the, the next question, which uh -huh. is a logical follow-up question before we close out yeah. now. Um, is your birthday with Jupiter in the ascendant, like Joseph Smith? When was your birthday? My birthday is July 7th. So oh, well, then yeah. see, the Jupiter's talisman is just a just a concept for you. So now is that real silver? You could sell it for good money, dude. Oh, well, uh, well, it's silver plated, so it's worth uh, a fraction of a, of a, of a penny. Get, get enough. But, 
it's a great symbol, isn't it? Oh, I don't fun. know. I have to find my sign. I'd have to ask Dan what, what you know, maybe Saturn or Mars is my sign oh, or something. It might be, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How fun. Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, hey, uh, we have had a ball talking tonight. Uh, I haven't had a chance to look at all the comments or, or uh, get your comments, but uh, I will get back with you and describe your comments and talk to you Sunday night when I have Tim Rathbone just to understand. That's going to be good. Yeah, Tim is wonderful. He is an insider. Yeah. On the Mormon historian. He was there getting his, I believe he told me his bachelor's degree while all of the Leonard Arrington era was going down. So, I mean, he's got one, he's told me some stories that we'll share Sunday about when Boyd K. Packer came down and started telling the historians, Hey, the we kibosh. Need, yeah, we need to, we need to tighten up the archives and all that. Tim has some fabulous stories. You won't want to miss that on the insider. We'll do that Sunday night. So Sunday night, I'll six o'clock. I, I won't. Oh, wonderful. I'm looking forward to having you there, Pat. Um, I won't be there for the Sunday morning Sunday school. I'm just going to do the Sunday night. Uh, so uh, we will get together then. And in the meantime, remember, like I always love to say, have fun, do well, be good, make lots of friends. Don't stay up late unless you're doing something fun. And I will see you guys Sunday night. Six o'clock mountain time. I love y'all. We got to go. Thank you for enjoying the time with us tonight.